I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow and all I got was the Doctor Who podcast. In this episode of the Doctor Who podcast, we welcome Simon from the Waffle On podcast to join us to talk about the fan reaction to the vampires in Venice. morning, good evening, good afternoon to everyone. Hello, it's the Doctor Who Podcast. We're here today to look at the fan reaction to Vampires in Venice and we have as our very special guest in the caravan, uh, Simon from the Waffle On Podcast. Hello, Simon. Hello, Shav. Hello, James. Hello, Simon. And of course, yeah, James is here as well. I, I, I was most remiss not, not, to, not to welcome James. Welcome back, James. Yeah, thank you, Trevor. Just ignoring me yet again. And I have to, I have to <laughs> ask you, you seem to have downgraded from our camper van back to the caravan again. We've been in a caravan for the last two episodes. What's all that about? Well, the camper van's in the shop because um, when, when Laura from the Oodcast was here last week, we, we had a bit of a party after the episode and she kind of trashed it a bit. <laughs> So it's in getting clean. So 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 we had to use the backup camper this time. So, but we'll be back in the big one next week. I feel week. very very remiss. We welcome in Simon to a very disorganised, you know, shoddy recording studio. Well, yeah, yeah it, it's very 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 shabby, and I'm not a hundred percent too sure about this blow up canine, Trev, that you seem to have <laughs> hidden behind the the table here. Hey, I, I don't know hey, what you've been hey, doing hey. with that. That's that's what that's my second best friend. Thank you very much. <laughs> Typical Australian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are here today to to try and sift through the mountain of feedback and opinion out there uh, on vampires in Venice. We've already given you our thought, so now it's your turn to uh, let loose on us and let us know what you think of this episode. So we'll get into that right away. Greetings to the Doctor Who podcast from me. I'm Mark. Love the episode Vampires in Venice. That was simply awesome. It was just chock full of great lines. I mean, the one that sticks in my mind is um, the Doctor lying back and saying, makes you wonder what's so bad. It doesn't mind you thinking it's a vampire. It was just good fun. I enjoyed it. It was lovely. I'll say no more. I really liked it. It was a five out of five. Well, it's been really interesting having a look at the feedback for Vampires in Venice. Um some very varied reactions out there. We'll we'll uh, start with uh, James's favourite bit, which which is some of the stats on the forums that have been uh, floating okay. around. Because you can get on the forums like Gallifrey Base and Doctor Who Online and and our own Doctor Who podcast website, and you can rate the episodes of Doctor Who. Now on uh, Gallifrey Base, they've had close to three thousand seven hundred voters for Vampires in Venice. Uh, the highest rating it got was uh, was eight. 33% of the voters went for an 8, and the second highest rating was a 7. Um, only 80.13% gave it a 7 or above, which to me seems just a little bit muted. 
um, and only 7% gave it a 10. It's a, this, mm. I, I was quite surprised at the uh, markedly mute reaction on the point of the uh, Gallifrey base uh, subscribers. Mm. It does seem a little bit strange, I have to say, because the people who are logging on and actually writing about the episode and leaving their comments are actually quite generous in their praise. Look at the polls and the votes. The story is very, very similar to what you just described on Gallifrey base. You know, people are saying, you know, it's okay, but mm. nothing special. Kind of reflects your opinion of it, Trev, really. Well, it's very similar as the... Uh... Uh, polls on sites like DWA, they, they've had about 250 voters and only 69% gave it a four or higher. That's say four out of five. So still reasonably, um, I don't know, casual type of field to this episode, I think. I'm slightly different to you two because um, <laughs> I, I quite liked the episode in a middle-of-the-road, almost liberal democratic kind of way. Um, I am interested in, as you say, with the polls, because reading through the forums, um, it's probably the episode so far out of all of them on, on uh, Series 5, which it swings both ways. You read one post where someone will turn around and say, actually, I really like this episode, it's really good. And then the next post directly underneath it, somebody's absolutely slagging it off. It's it's really a divided uh, episode, this one. Mm. Um, and and I think it, it just because it shows well that your, your um, last podcast where you, you both had such a difference of opinions on it um, is, is a classic example of what I think is the feeling all through the Doctor Who community. It does seem to be very divided and from reading some of the forum stuff, there, there, there still seems to be a lot of talk and a lot of, I suppose, hangover conversation from um, flesh and stone. Uh, people mm. are still talking about the ramifications of that last five minutes. And, of course, it all leads on to uh, vampires and Venice. So, so there seems to be a lot of talk about the whole Rory-Amy relationship, the whole Amy-Doctor relationship. Do you think, though, that the, the reaction that we're getting at the moment, if that last few minutes of, of the, the, the episode we don't like to talk about hap- didn't happen, do you think people would be a little bit more um, positive responsive towards this episode? Had that last five minutes not been there at all, then I think people would have been of a completely different frame of mind going into the beginning of Vampires in Venice, where, of course, we got the Doctor bursting out of a wedding cake. And mm. It was an interesting conversation that Tom and Trevor had concerning about other Doctors, whether or not you could actually see any of Doctors 1 through to 10 in that particular role. And I don't think you could. So, therefore, without that last five minutes of Flesh and Stone, this particular episode, I think, would have started differently. And if you'd have completely deleted the feeling, the opening of this episode created, mm. Vampires in Venice, that is, then I think perhaps people's attitudes would have been very different going into it, if that makes any kind of sense. As far as I'm concerned, I still think it was the wrong way to go. <laughs> um, yes, I think the last five minutes of Flesh and Stone needed to be addressed, and I think they did address it. What I think was wrong or possibly disappointing from my point of view is that they used it to set the tone for the whole of the episode. It was the reason as to why Rory was brought in. Um, and I thought, I, and there's one thing I have to say, which is since I've mentioned the R word, Rory, there's a character, incidentally, who I really, really do not like so far. Um, I, I can't believe Tom's comment on the last podcast now I know he's not here to defend himself but I know he's listening and quite frankly I want to say this without him interrupting anyway how can he possibly compare 
Rory's relationship with the 11th Doctor to the 2nd Doctor and Jamie. There is no comparison between Jamie and Rory at Mm. all. So, Tom, we'll have this conversation, I'm sure, again. But you're just wrong there. Just wrong, 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 wrong. Hi, Doctor Who podcast boys. It's Adam here. I just wanted to send a quick bit of feedback in before anybody else got in their ideas for the title of episode 13. Cookie Theory... I think it's going to be called Amy's time. I think it's fairly obvious that's going to be the case, but I've heard a few people banding around other ideas, um, but I wanted to get my one in first. I really fell in love with this post that was on that Gallifrey base from this particular gentleman. And Sorry, I haven't written down your your screen name. Um, He makes a really interesting comment about how he seems to be thrown out of the episode um, right from the get-go with all the stuff with the wedding, sorry, with all the stuff with the uh, cake. And he's saying here, I'd always had the happy belief that the Doctor is not a man who would kiss and tell. I had this strange belief that he was mature, wise and gentle. Now here he is pulling a gag, bigging himself up in an adolescent, she kissed me, not you type of way. And not only humiliating his companion by exposing her private mistake to everyone, but also humiliating an innocent young man by telling him something like that in front of his whole town. This is not the Doctor. The Doctor may be heedless and oblivious at times, but he'd not hurt someone like that. I really resonated with that comment because it kind of summed up in that sort of two and a half paragraphs exactly what I thought about that whole beginning of Vampires in Venice. Really? I disagree with that. I, I do because I, I think the Doctor would do that. I mean, you look at the uh, look at the the Sixth Doctor, for example. Um, he, he'd do that. I'm not not exactly in the same context, but I, I think he would. I think the Doctor is. Um, I, sometimes, I think sometimes people forget how complex the Doctor is and the fact that he's always in his own world nine times out of ten. He doesn't think a lot of the time. We know that he's an intelligent guy, but a lot of the time he just doesn't actually think of what's best for people. It's a bit like. Um, any kind of workplace, you've got your general workers and you've got your management. Nine times out of ten, the management aren't on the same length as the workers. And this is where I see the doctor sometimes. And I, I think he does I'm, I'm He does do that. With so I, I, I disagree with that kind of I have to say, I, I think the 11th doctor seems to be a bit of a prank where it comes to <laughs> relationships because it was the most ridiculous <laughs> thing. Put yourself in that scenario, okay? You've just been kissed by, <laughs> by somebody else's fiancé. So the first thing you do is run off, jump out of a wedding cake on the stag night in front of all his friends and then say, oh, I've kissed your girlfriend. I mean, it's not just silly, it's ridiculous. And I I don't think it is in character with the Doctor either. Um, I mean, the only person who I could see being perhaps and getting away with it is Tom Baker at his most manic. But the sixth Doctor, I mean, it depends whether or not you take his TV persona or Big Finish persona. And I, I think he is much more considerate and he does consider the outcome of what mm. he says sometimes. And I just can't see him going straight up to Rory and saying that. So I, I do think it's out of character somewhat for the Doctor in general. You know, this is also the new Doctor, so it could also be the point that it's his own characteristic because I know there's always borrowing um, different parts of every Doctor and I, and I see Matt Smith doing that all the time. But he's also got to have his own 
persona and maybe this is his own persona because you know he needs to have his own mark on it and maybe this is his well simon i mean i'll i'll say from the outset that i do agree with you to a certain extent that that the doctor could be callous that he could be quite oblivious to the effect that he had on people around him but I think during the classic series, when doctors like the third and the fourth were were being blustering and rude, it wasn't mm. so cold and calculating and premeditated, I think, as mm. what the 11th Doctor has done in Vampires in Venice. Sure, I mean, I totally accept that the Doctor can be unaware of his actions and the way he comes across to people, like most of us, I suppose. I mean, sometimes we just aren't aware of the effect we have on other people and we might indirectly insult people. But I don't think any other Doctor has gone as far as that premeditation that the 11th Doctor has done in this. He is fully aware of the effect that he is having and he is fully aware of the effect he is after. And that's, I think, what really gets to me. Mm. And when when a Doctor Mm. has stepped out of line before and inadvertently hurt someone's feelings or upset them there's usually a scene later on where he goes back and apologizes for that or he says well yeah perhaps i shouldn't have been so forthright there and there was nothing um after this particular scene it was just a case of we'll take you to venice and you can get over it i kind of think of the doctor as a bit of a graphic equalizer if you like with each incarnation being a separate lever and one of the levers is kindness the other the other one is quick tempered and every time he regenerates each of those levels kind of get reset and adjusted but never before have we actually had a, 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 a level in its own right of callous disregard if the production team want to have the 11th doctor with that character trait then please go for it but they have to accept the consequences of that and they can't ignore that character trait by saying well you've just misinterpreted what you've seen in vampires in venice the mm. doctor really isn't like that um but i i think with all the evidence that we're seeing and with certainly with some of the fan reaction to it that um we we are seeing i, I think what could even be a brand new character trait or mm. one that's barely been there in the past hi this is matt bragg from bath in response to your comment about the cake bursting scene uh how about william hartnell in episode two of the space museum where he pops out of a dalek love the podcast great stuff cheers anyway moving yeah. on to perhaps a rather more important story point um there's a chap who's left some feedback on our forums. There's a guy called Dylan Gibbs, who's actually quite a prolific poster uh, on the Doctor Who podcast forums. And he says, I've had some problems with it, mainly Amy reflecting the sun in her mirror, when in that particular scene, there was no sun. <laughs> as the clouds <laughs> and the lightning were cover it, covering it. <laughs> and I thought that was a very, very good point as well. It seemed very inconsistent throughout the episode as to whether or not sun either just kind of tickled their skin or whether or not it was suddenly going to make them implode. And the, the reflection on the mirror seemed to be, you know, a very minor, small bit of light. They'd been exposed to much more sunlight prior to that in the episode. So I thought that was a little bit inconsistent as well. There's someone who's actually posted a response to that, saying the sunlight thing didn't bother me. What did was that when Rosanna... Was it Rosanna? Was that the name of the woman, Rosanna? You know, the I'm chief, not sure. The chief fish, if you like. I thought yeah. it was Carvella or something. Anyway, never mind. Um, when, anyway, <laughs> that woman strips down to her slip to jump into the canal at the end of the story, she's not wearing her perception filter generator thingy, yet she's still in humanoid form. Shouldn't she have reverted to her normal appearance? 
my wife and I were both scratching our heads at the ends over that. Yeah, I think that all depends if it's uh, if it has to be connected to her, or maybe the perception filter works in close proximity to her. But it is a it's a valid yeah, that, point. That that kind of worried me not so much her being in her humanoid form, but the fact that the clothes were part of the, of the perception filter. They they weren't real clothes oh, yeah, as had already been yeah. established. So how she mm. was able to take them off, I don't know. Did she? go down and strip down and then put on real clothes just to do that walk out to the canal. <laughs> yes. It's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know the answer. Okay, another piece of feedback, this time from the Doctor Who online forums and concerning the tone of the show. And this poster says, I know that it is a family show and why they interspersed <laughs> the horror so much with comedy. Why was it so imbecilic and slapstick? How did the fish lady know the Doctor... He never said who he was, just from Gallifrey. And where did all the fishy boys in the river go? I find it strange that we've just come off probably one of the scariest two-parters of all time and, and people are saying that Vampires in Venice was even scarier. I think it, it was what I was saying during our review episode that there seemed to be quite an uneasy mix between comedy and horror and you know sort of more adult uh, themes in this one that I don't think it was as scary and I don't think it was really scary at all because there seemed to be that level of comedy in it that sort of lightened it all up that you weren't really scared with what was going on I mean I mean you were more laughing at it I suppose yeah I, I don't I don't see any any horror aspects in this episode at all in fact it's a good thing that there's no horror aspects in this because you can't beat the weeping angels you had two episodes of you know a a classic behind the sofa style episode so you don't want another one to come straight after it 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 doesn't that's it doesn't work like that when you do tv programming so i think the comedy element it was more of the focus point than any horror i mean Vampires aren't really no. that, you know, <laughs> not really. really. And I, I, I thought they were no, probably trying no. to plug into all of the, you know, the new interest in, in vampire stories through the Twilight franchise. And that, that's become quite successful, certainly over here in the UK. Uh, but I haven't seen any of those films. But my, my, mm. my sister is quite into horror books and she started reading them again and apparently a, a lot of people have really got back into the kind of Anne Rice novels so perhaps it was trying to pick up on the back of the popularity of um, of, of vampires and of course this this was written by Toby Whithouse who I think actually invented um, Being Human which has got a vampire involved as well mm. um, but for me all elements of horror were lost as soon as we were dealing with rather large walking talking fish and I just felt it was a shame that they decided to go down that route, in all honesty, especially after I felt they did Talking Fish quite well in The Doctor's Daughter a couple of years ago. I think, Simon, you make a very valid point. It is not really a good idea to be having a horror story and then another horror story right after it, that there has to be that variance in tone throughout the season. Now, whether or not you agree that Vampires and Venice got the tone right is a different matter, but... We, we certainly couldn't have three episodes in a row of just outright horror and, and scares because uh, that's just not the balance of the season. It, it would sort of be top-heavy at one end of the season and then we might end up with the rest of the season just being light-hearted. So I think they've got to throw these things in occasionally just, just to keep it fresh, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And when you think about the fact that you've got six or seven extremely attractive women in the vampire roles, you know... Um, <laughs> that ain't scary. That's that's nice. To be fair, come on, 
<laughs> if you're gonna go, <laughs> I'd regenerate there and then. Yeah. Go on, girls, well, bite I've me. I've never heard Let's anyone get so excited about large fish. <laughs> <laughs> I like fish. Fish, fish are nice. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I, I've seen the question raised a few times. Uh, where did all the fishy boys go? This poster particularly termed it as or phrased it as, uh, and yet I think that was actually answered. Do you two think that as well? I, I, I thought that was quite an obvious answer to that question. Well, I'm 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 not sure whether it was answered. What was the answer to where the uh, fish in the canal went? Well, this is my take on it anyway. Um, the reason people were thrown into the canal were to feed mm. them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What happens? Yes. What happens when you don't feed living beings? Well, you just die. Then they they die. There you are. Yeah. So I think that's the answer. Okay, that's that's nice. And I think simple. it was as, I think it was as straightforward as that. I haven't heard any other suggestion um, as, as to why that as, mm. as to what happened to them. People are saying, "Oh, I think they're going to come back in a future episode." I think no, sorry, I think couldn't they just dead. couldn't they just <laughs> couldn't they just swim out into the sea? I mean, water goes somewhere, doesn't it? So you know, maybe they've just swam out to sea they, for, they, and eat eat fish. Perhaps. Dolphins and whales. And that kind well, they were being they were being fed humans, weren't they? They were being fed. Well, people, if you so if you're going to be you picky, you know, if you're hungry, you're hungry. You'll go and search for your food, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. Actually, well, I didn't even possibly. think. You know what? It's not until you just brought that up that I just thought, oh yeah, I didn't actually give it a second thought. I was too busy, you know, waiting for the end, and uh, and I didn't even think anything of it to be honest, even until you just brought it up. Oh well, it, it it's a question I've seen two or three times raised on the forums. It's it's been raised almost as many times as why were the weeping angels snapping necks in the mm. previous two episodes? And um, I I think that's a far more complicated question. And I've yet to hear a uh, completely sound, solid theory on that one either. Yeah, it's it's such a shame that we mm. haven't had the um the commentaries we used to get. You know, you used to get the the uh, the commentaries that were put on iTunes yeah. after the episode was shown. Uh, uh, of the the director and the writer talking about it because we might have got a, a couple of answers from that but it's a yeah it's a question that hasn't hasn't yet been answered no i I've, i always used to enjoy listening to those commentaries mm. or the, the the podcasts but at the same time i did feel as you know I, I should really understand the story without having to listen to the writer or the producer or the director explain a particularly convoluted plot point yeah um, and they do that in confidential sometimes as well they did it with victory of the dialects this time around and uh, I seem to remember the Doctor's daughter. Oh, they spent about 15 minutes in confidential trying to explain that the war only lasted for about seven days. And that was clearly because no one understood it yeah. when they were watching it. And um, <laughs> even even at Gallifrey, where they had a live commentary with Alice Troughton and Georgia Moffat, they still didn't understand that particular plot point. <laughs> um, but I, I think, why actually bother trying to address it? If the story doesn't work, you know, <laughs> if, unless you've gone past the point of no return, why, why would you write it in that particular way? Hi, everybody at the Doctor Who podcast and all the listeners too. This is Adam here from Cows on the Isle of Wight. I've been listening to this podcast and all my other favourite podcasts recently. And... Uh, what I wanted to say was this series of Doctor Who has got to be the best because the opinions, theories, um, talk, discussion, mostly positive, has been the best I've ever known as a Doctor Who fan. There's just so much to look forward to, so much to talk about, so many theories, so many things we might have missed, so many things that other people have picked up on. And I, I think if uh, you really want to be interested in this series, you need to listen to the podcast to 
pick up every little detail that people have um, spotted. It's fascinating for me that when we go and look for the fan reaction for these episodes, that people really, I think for the majority of the part, really aren't talking about the stories themselves, that even now that, that, that we haven't got RTD around anymore, a lot of the talk is still about what's the overall theme, what's Amy doing, who is Amy, who is Rory, um, what, what, what's going on with that uh, code that was on River's machine and all that sort of stuff that even when you go into threads specifically designed to talk about a particular episode, there's still people branching out beyond that because um, often some of the episodes don't have enough to talk about within that 45-minute structure. No, agreed. People do seem to be scratching around for things to talk about and I think perhaps with the exception of our Tom, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not sure that you or I, Trev, are particularly inclined to go and ask these questions. I don't feel motivated to go and find out about the crack or the numbers this time around. Um, I just, the, the interest is just not there for me as much, you know. I mean, I loved two, maybe two and a half of the six episodes so far, but am I intrigued about kind of carrots and clues that are being left around you know with regards to the story arc not really really you know i'm I'm finding it hard to get mm. motivated to be interested about that how do you feel about that simon yeah i mean i think the problem is with the the crack scenario is that i think it's been mentioned before is because you had it you know, in every episode seemed to be oh, here's the crack coming on, you know. Um, it, you kind of, it kills, it's overkill. So you, you don't really care about it. Uh, the only thing that I'm quite interested in is the whole silence thing because that hasn't, it's been mentioned a few mm-hmm. times, but it hasn't been shoved in your face. It's not the most blatant of, uh, of things. And in fact, probably on this episode was the first time you actually, well, you didn't hear anything. Um, and so you've, the silence, well, is the silence coming? Well, no, because if you can't hear anything, the silence is there. Uh, so that's a that's a bad point anyway for a start. But uh, yeah, I'm not overly bothered. But then again, if I'm totally honest with you, I didn't really give a damn about the the arcs on the the, the last few series. You know, the bad wolf <laughs> thing. I didn't really not really that interested. But that's because I have issues with um, the RTD series anyway. Um, always mm. have. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I, again, I'm concentrating more on the story that I'm watching than thinking of ahead more than anything. That's yes. the most important thing for me yes. at the moment. And once once the, the the episodes are over, then I'll go back and watch it and think of that. And and this this is an interesting thing. Uh, well, it's interesting for me, probably not anyone else, but um, I cannot really go back and watch any David Tennant episode again. But I found me Matt Smith. I am actually looking forward to going back and watching the 11th hour and and the beast below again um for a third third viewing i I don't have that with with any any uh david tennant episode um so for me these stories are a lot better and they're keeping me gripped again as i say once i've seen all the episodes i'll probably go back and start concentrating a little bit more on the story arc and seeing if i can see a lot more in these stories that's interesting i i have to say that's not the first time i've heard someone say that and they, mm. they feel that they can't actually go back and watch any of David Tennant's episodes now just because it feels like a completely different series and it feels irrelevant now. I, d- I have to say I don't feel that way. Um, I, I've gone back recently and I watched um, Waters of Mars again. And I remember mm. when that broadcast, I had some 
problems with that particular episode, but I couldn't even put my finger on exactly what it was. This time around when I watched it, I loved it. Mm. And I actually thought, oh, if only. But having said that, I remember during David Tennant's era, I went back and watched the um, Parting of the Ways and Bad Wolf uh, with Christopher. And I remember thinking, wow, that was so much better than the David Tennant series that I was watching at the time. I haven't felt like that at all with Matt Smith. So far, for me, without a shadow of a doubt, Matt Smith is the most disappointing doctor for me um, since the series came back in 2005. Ooh, that's, that's, uh, that's how I feel at this moment in time. Um, it doesn't mean that the stories mm. are particularly bad, and it doesn't mean that I'm turning my back on Doctor Who, but so far, I think the anticipation of his arrival was so great, and I was so looking forward to seeing Russell T. Davis you know, walk through the exit door, Leave. never to return. And I, I just feel, especially after the 11th hour, which I was the only person in the entire universe who, who didn't actually enjoy that episode, um, I, I just thought, oh. <laughs> and so, no, I, I do feel a little bit like I'm missing David Tennant. And I, I and once again, um, I think I'm a voice in the dark there. Yeah, I mean, I, I thinking back, I think there is, there is actually only two episodes of... David Tennant that now if I think okay if I've got to watch them what will I do and it's uh, Human Nature Family of Blood which is ironic considering he's not actually playing the Doctor <laughs> in it and it actually yeah. was, wasn't wrote for him it was it was a, you know a, as we know a, a McCoy uh, thing um, no I mean for me I without going too much into it because we haven't got time for it but um, I didn't wasn't a great fan of David Tennant I think he was brilliant as the Doctor and I, I'm not knocking because obviously his popularity is you know is really high but for me, uh, Matt Smith is a welcome, a welcome, you know, re- return to what I class as proper Doctor Who. And I know it's a the, the cliche thing to say, being a classic fan or a you know a new fan. I, I think that's rubbish. If you like Doctor Who, you like Doctor Who. But unfortunately, I, I'm seeing more of the classic Who in these new episodes. And I was talking to a, a chap at work today because I said, you know, what do you think of this this last episode? Because I'm I'm doing uh, the show tonight. And he turned around and he says he just can't stand Matt Smith. He hates it. And I turned around and said, well, you know, Steve, who who I was talking to, he's um, 42. And so his doctor was John Pertwee. And I, so I gave him this and I said, well, you, you know, really like David Tennant. And he says, yeah. So, well, that's because your kids have watched David Tennant. That's their first doctor. And you've sat around on a Saturday night eat, having your tea, watching Doctor Who with your family. And your kids really like it. Now, his kids can't stand Matt Smith. But this is the same scenario that happens all the time when you have your doctor and a new guy comes in. I don't know anyone who actually suddenly liked the new Doctor that after they've been watching it. It happened with Tom Baker to Peter Davidson. And I think that's that's what's going on. Now, for me, I was looking for something more in the Doctor, and Matt Smith has given me that. Hmm, interesting. I had absolutely no problem with either Christopher Eggleston or David Tennant after their first episodes. And I, and I know Trevis as well. Basically, and fundamentally, a classic fan. So... I kind of expect to have mm. problems with the modern episodes every now and again. And I don't see the classic series in Matt Smith's series, be it series 5, series 1, 31. I, I just don't see it. I see shades of the same character, and I, but I actually see the character moving further away from what we already know and love, and we've already talked about that in some depth. But... 
I think mm. the way the production team are addressing that is to reference Classic Who more and do it more obviously. Hence the reason we saw the picture of William Hartnell and hence the montage of the first 10 Doctors very early on in the run, you know, inside of the first hour uh, mm. of Matt Smith's era. We, we, we saw all of the old Classic Doctors. But for me, that's as much Classic Who as I can see in, um, in Matt Smith's series so far. I, I get it just as a feeling. I don't. I just don't know what it is. I was watching um, the uh, Lost in Time box set um, uh, the other day, and I was uh, yeah, and I, I was just thinking, oh, just there was just you know snippets of stuff that I, was, I got the feeling that that's what Muffet is trying to give us, and I, I think that's what he is because we know that Stephen Muffet is a is a is a classic Hugh fan, and I know RTD was as well, but I I, I didn't see any classic formula in uh, in his reign of of Doctor Who. Um, but I don't know. I, I, just, I think it's. I think it's what you've mentioned before that you kind of see the Troughton era in Matt Smith, and I think because, and this is only my theory, and my this is my personal uh, feelings, um, is because there's so little Troughton available. I'm sort of like seeing Troughton in Matt Smith. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And and I, maybe it's just me grasping for that hope because I know that we we, we don't have much Troughton, and I'm seeing a lot of Troughton in him. It's it's just my own, you know, kind of childish grasp of wanting some, you know, Troutony stuff, I think. I think we've um, said on this show before that a lot of us are seeing Troughton mm. in Matt Smith and, and and we're trying to make that tenuous grasp back to the classic series. I think for me personally, just, just trying to validate Matt Smith just a little bit more. I think we see what we want to see as fans. I don't think for a second Matt Smith mm. gone back and watched every single Doctor's era, um, because if he were to do that, then his own performance is going to be compromised. I think fans see what they want to see. I do think he may possibly have deliberately tried to channel Patrick Troughton after watching Tomb of the Cybermen, and he, he he said that he watched that story um, in, I think it was his very first interview with Doctor Who magazine, but he has, he's remained silent on absolutely every other single Doctor. Um, there have been comparisons to Peter Davison, there have mm. been comparisons to Colin Baker, there has been comparisons to Sylvester McCoy. Um, Tom thought the cake moments in Vampires was very Tom Baker-ish. Um, I think we see that. Um, we like to think that are so heavily involved in Doctor Who in the same way we are, that they're deliberately paying homage to actors who have gone before them. And I think that's probably... A little bit self-deluded, mm. <laughs> just a little bit. Well, good or bad, that's probably a good point to lead this particular discussion on because we are running out of time. So if you have any thoughts on Vampires in Venice, please send it into feedback at thedoctorpodcast.com. Well, another episode is drawing to a close here in the slightly downgraded DWP caravan. Camper van will be back soon, don't you worry. You just hit us on a bad oh, week, Simon, right. sorry. Um, <laughs> while we've got you here, Simon, why don't you tell the listeners about your own podcast, the Waffle On podcast? Yeah, oh, well, thanks very much. Yeah, we're a podcast that's um, devoted to uh, television programs broadcast on British TV between... 1960 to 1999. Uh, we've done stuff on Monty Python, uh, Porridge, Rented Ghost. Uh, we recently did Spaced. Um, we do the odd special episode if we think it's um, worthy, like we, we did one on the uh, leaders' debate, um, the political debate, because we thought it was a groundbreaking event on British TV. Uh, we also do stuff on 
actors, uh, writers, directors, if they've recently passed away. Um, we're going to do one on Edward Woodward, actually, in a, a couple of months. Uh, and we do the odd film, like Monty Python, The Holy Grail. Um, future episodes coming up is going to be Steptoe and Son and uh, Dad's Army, in which I'm hoping to... Uh, convince James to uh, either send something in or join in for a bit because uh, you, <laughs> you know way already. more than I'm me, James. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I would definitely recommend the uh, Waffle On podcast. I mean, for for me, I enjoyed recently your uh, Faulty Towers episode, and I think one of the great things about your show is 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 that it's one of those shows that treats the listener like they've never watched mm. Faulty Towers or watched that particular show before. And I think that's a failing of some podcasts that they sit there and they do a what they think is a retrospective. Yeah. But they'll talk to the listener as though he's seen every single episode and you have to understand all the jokes and stuff like that. And and I think one of the great things about Waffle On is that, is that you can load up an episode of your show based on your reviews and you can learn so much about that particular series or that particular movie without ever having seen it and... That's a great credit to you. When we do the podcast, I'll I'll say to Cal, uh, like the, the one we're recording this weekend is uh, about classic children's television. It's going to be a two or three parter, and I said to him, just give me several episodes or several programs that you really like, and I'll I'll go back and I'll write um, what we do. we write a pointer script, uh, and so I know what I'm talking about, and I don't tell uh, Cal anything of what I'm going to talk about because. I like the fact that he'll be amazed at certain facts that I'll come out with, or he'll have some kind of little ditty, and uh, and it, it does it does work a lot. But I'd hate to do it solo. I wouldn't do it solo if I'm honest. If he said that he, he didn't want to do it anymore, uh, I I I wouldn't do it because uh, I think Cal adds uh, <laughs> adds that little more over enthusiasm which I can't muster. Well, that might be it for another episode, guys. We time to saunter off into the sunset and uh, await the episode coming up this weekend. Who's, which whose name escapes me at the moment? What's it called? It that's that's called Amy's Choice. So that's going to be interesting. And again, for the first time in about three weeks, this coming Sunday when we're recording, we'll have Tom, Trev, and myself back in what I hope will be an upgraded camper van. <laughs> I think it should be back from the shop. There, we should have got all those annoying stains out of the couch by then. So anyway, um, thank you, James. Thank you, Simon, for joining us here today. It's been fantastic. So we'll see you all um, very soon for our review of Amy's Choice. See you later, guys. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.